Okay, uh, hello everybody, and welcome to uh, another episode of Good Gamers. Today, I am joined by the uh, goodest of time society gentleman of the hour, Jake Michaels. How are you doing, Jake? Very good. Happy Thursday, James. Happy Thursday to you, Jake. Um, I appreciate uh, you uh, deciding to be on my podcast. Um, A lot of times when I ask people, hey, can you be on my podcast? I usually get three responses. Either, sure, I'll be on your podcast. Two, sure, I'll be on your podcast and then don't respond. Or three, no response. So I appreciate you doing the first one. Um, (laughs) Yeah, of course, I appreciate you inviting me. Um, It's always nice to have someone ask you that question. I mean, uh, if I'm invited to a space to talk, I I try to take advantage of it when I can. Got it, got it. Now, uh, granted, uh, I have never met you in person before, and this is the first time that we've actually spoken to each other. Um, But I, you know, uh, much like Becca, appreciate all of your efforts that you put into Good Time Society. And uh, it's, at times, certainly inspiring. I just wanted to let you know that. Oh, <laughs> thanks. Yeah. I like that it's inspiring at times. There well, are times where it's like, eh, eh, that's fine. <laughs> you can't, they can't all be winners, Jake. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. That's the honesty we need here. <laughs> but, um, you know, um, so, Jake, um, what, what game or games are you currently playing? Um, digital or board or both? Whatever you spend the most time with. Okay. Oh, that's a great question. So, um, lately, like, since quarantine started, I've been kind of cycling through different things. I haven't had one straight obsession. I've definitely played a lot, uh, more board games than I thought I would because of the digital version of all these things that have come out, uh, in the past year and also tabletop simulator. So I've got to, like, I've got to really broaden my horizons a bit. Um, two games that have kind of crossed my path uh, more recently. One of them is digital, another one is a board game. Um, the board game is Paladins of the West Kingdom. We actually just played it on Gameplay last week. And Katie, my wife, and I, we play it together pretty often. It's um, it's a game by Renegade Game Studios and Garp Hill Games. Uh, it's a it's a semi-Euro uh, game where you have a number of workers that you assign to different tasks to build up a number of prestige points to win the game. It's, it's super fun, super intricate. It's got a lot of great mechanics. Um, highly recommend you check it out. And if you check out the game played, um, it's a really fun game that we played. It's also insanely long. It's like four hours. Mm, I see. Have you ever played any of the um, West Kingdom games? Uh, I can't say that I recall playing the West Kingdom games. Um, I don't really have the greatest memory when it comes to like, hey, people, have you ever played this game? And then I'll be like, I don't remember. And then we'll be sitting down and playing it, and I'll be like, I have played this game. <laughs> so Yeah. Well, there's so many games out there now. Like, that's that's a very understandable issue. I have, I've done that before as well. Like, people will show me, like, they'll, they'll tell me a name of a game, and I'll be like, I don't think I've ever played it. And then they'll show it to me, like, wait. I'm having flashbacks of seven years ago, uh, 1 a.m. in the morning, someone pulling this out. So, yeah, I feel that. Exactly. The, uh, the, I remember a time a while back where someone was like, have you ever played Dominion before? And I was like, nope, never played Dominion. Don't even know what you're talking about. And then 
we sat down and I was like, oh, it's this game. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's a, yeah, nothing about Dominion screams the word Dominion, but like it is such a quintessential game once you've played it. Yes, and uh, if, if you've ever played Dominion, one of the funniest cards to play is King's Court, which is basically where you can repeat three turns. And uh, yeah. if you double up or maybe trip up on King's Court, you can just get an unlimited amount of turns, which is quite, quite the unfair hack, but it's been <laughs> happened to me before. And I was just like, all right, I guess the game's over. <laughs> yeah, it gets pretty snowbally with King's Court because it allows you to repeat actions. Now, you, where, you, where you're limited is you only have so many actions in your deck, so it will stop eventually. Thankfully, it doesn't give full turns. But yeah, that's a crazy card. One of my favorites, too. I'm glad you mentioned it. Uh, the the digital game that I'm playing now, though, that has gotten my head wrapped around it is this Dyson Sphere program. Have you heard about this? I, I have not heard of Dyson Sphere program, no. So the a Dyson Sphere is a theoretical device uh, theorized by Freeman Dyson back in the 60s, which is like a way to harness a star's power is to build a sphere of, uh, like, an energy absorber around it entirely and to take all of the energy from all directions that come from the sphere and then, or come, that come from the star, harvest it on the inside and then use that energy on the outside to power, you know, anything we might need. Hmm. Uh, the game itself is kind of like a start from nothing, build up your industry and gather resources and make efficient use of those resources to build more things all the way up to building a Dyson sphere. And it is, I usually don't like those kind of games, and I never buy games in early access because I usually prefer to wait until they're out. But I broke both of those rules because of how freaking cool this game is. It sounds cool. Um, I think, if I remember correctly, didn't Stargate use a Dyson Sphere, the show Stargate? Ooh, maybe. I never watched the TV show very much. Mm -hmm. I like caught a little bit of it, but I was kind of like out of my sci-fi phase when it was super popular. Okay. I bet they did. It's very, uh, again, like, uh, much like y your show To Boldly Watch, where you rewatch Star Trek, I I'll, like, I'll have, like, uh, when someone mentions something, I'll be like, wait a minute, I remember watching the thing like this, you know, and then I'll have, like, a burst of an image of the show that I watched, you know, that's why yeah. it came about. That's been such a trip going back through the next generation on our podcast To Boldly Watch, because, like... I remember so much of it from when I saw it as a kid, but I can't always remember if I'm remembering seeing it from a previous season that I've watched as an adult or, you know, like when, when I'm talking to Becca, cause she doesn't remember it all. And I'm talking to her and Xander about certain things. I'll be like, wait, do I remember this? Cause I know what's going to happen. Or am I remembering this? Cause they dropped that um, idea early on in the seasons. Hmm, hmm. The, um, I remember as a child, when I was younger, I loved dressing up. I loved cosplaying. And I remember one time I dressed up as Jordy LaForge and I used my sister's, I used my sister's like hair comb that looked like the visor and I would yeah. walk around with it. <laughs> it was the funniest thing. Um, I just, I thought Jordy you know was so awesome. what's crazy is awesome. that I'm pretty sure Jordy's visor itself, like the prop for it, yeah. is a hairband. Like the original, it was, originally was a hairband. That's neat. That's a neat bit of trivia. And then they re and then like the prop department repurposed it and like painted it and stuff. The um, uh, this is just me being a, a cheeky person, but a lot of times when people have a Star Wars conversation, 
I always like to throw in Star Trek just because it's funny. Um, <laughs> you know, like... Uh, yeah, throw a little chaos in there. Exactly, exactly. That Like, my brother is huge into Star Wars, loves Star Wars. I love Star Trek. So, like, he would... He would be like, oh, yeah, I just got this new R2-D2. And, he, you know, he can react when you say things. It's like we're a little remote control thing. And I was like, yeah, I just got a new remote control Patrick Stewart. It says, Earl Grey, hot. <laughs> that would be cool, but he doesn't exist. Um, but anyway, uh, so, Jake, I don't know if you're going to remember this or not. That's fine if you don't. But do you remember the first game that you ever played? Um, ever in my life? Like board game slash or video game? It, or yeah. I mean like modern complex board game. Whatever, whatever first game, your first gaming memory. Like Jake Michaels, oh. little dude coming over, playing the board game, being like, this is the best <laughs> thing ever. Or whatever um, it may be. I mean, I remember kind of discovering video games. Let's see. So we had an Intellivision when I was a kid. Okay. Which was like an Atari-level gaming console that you plugged into a television. And it had it had this crazy... If you have a chance, look it up. Look up Intellivision and the controller for it. It actually looked like an old-school phone with like a radial dial at the bottom. I want to look this up, actually. My grandmother actually had Intellivision and ColecoVision. Yeah, do you remember these things? Have you seen them? I played them at my grandparents' house. I also played Atari at yeah, my grandparents' house. Yeah, okay, so... Yeah. yeah, we had one of those, and it had, like, really basic games. One of those games was actually called Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. But, like, the games were, like, sports games or, like, space fighter games or, like, really, like, Asteroids-level stuff. Okay. Um, and I remember playing a whole lot of that because we, we had a... Um, we had a lake place when I was a kid for a few years mm -hmm. and we weren't, we didn't really have a television out there. Um, and when we, we didn't have uh, channels out there, but what we did have was the Intellivision. So when we would go out there and we had to come in at night cause uh, the sun was going down, that's one of the few things we would play. So I always associate that with in the summer, summer nights at the lake playing this really old console, even for then. Cause that was like the early nineties when I was playing it. And it was like an outdated console then cause like super Nintendo was out by then. Of course, of course. I think that's like my my earliest memory is playing in television occasionally. That's nice. That's nice. Like, um, I, I always, you know, I'm not hundred percent sure of what the first thing I played, but it could have been I, if I remember correctly, um, Oregon Trail for the PC. Um, oh yeah. This was with the, the when the PCs had the green screens, and. Um, it was very, uh, very like uh, slow moving, very slow paced, and then um, I think after that was Shining in the Darkness. It was like a dungeon crawler where you had to type, like your your commands. Like oh, like a text based one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very text based. It, it you know again. Yeah, there was when you appear at them now, they'd just be like, okay, I've grown past these games, but but yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing about the classics. Like, we remember them being really good, but they're hard to go back and play because though they were good for what they are and they were foundational in inspiring other great games after them, uh, they're still a product of, you know, what limited capabilities they had back then. Of course, of course. Because um, one of the things that I had to do when I went to audio engineering was we had a game called Video Game Music. And I was like, oh, this is going to be a fun class because... 
I love video games, and I love video game music, so it's going to be a slam dunk. Um, but then when I got into the class, the teacher was like, okay, now we're going to start with, you know, like, I think it was Nintendo that they started with, like the original Nintendo. It had like four channels of audio, or maybe three channels of audio. And we literally had to listen to the audio and decipher what kind of waves they were. And like Whoa. we had like this whole we had like this whole in-depth thing where we had to decipher how it sounded and, and how it reacted in the channels and how they manipulated the channels to get the best audio out of it. And I was just like, okay, this is not this is not a light class by any means. <laughs> but it, was it sixteen bit audio or was that thirty or what was that? Was it eight bit? It was audio? four was channels of audio. It was four channels of audio basically done with sims and dim sounds. Um, yeah. You know, uh, sawtooth waves, square waves, depending on how they were manipulated by the uh, programmer. Because again, they only had, I think it's like three or four channels of audio. So they had to blend a lot with the, the channel so that it would give a more uh, suitable sound as opposed to like the old school ones that were just like bloop, blop, bloop, blop. You know, you know, kind of no, like easy noises, you know. I mean, Nintendo was when music started getting really good because they got composers in there of course, with of course. those midis doing 8-bit music and like real cool melodies could come out of that. And then when Super Nintendo came out, because that was 16-bit too, right? Yes, like they was, doubled it. Yes, And exactly. then you could get real cool compositions. Yeah, that that is the, the ghost phone. Never pay attention to the ghost phone. <laughs> but... It's Nintendo calling. Yeah, what is up. that? What, what wavelength is that? James? <laughs> um, it sounds like an oscillating wave, you know, like it, you which go. is kind of like, uh, you know, like uh, an ocean wave. Uh, yes, I also had a teacher that was like, "What key is that in?" You know, like ba 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 ba. Can you spot this key? What key oh is your gosh. voice in? That's more of a music class than anything. Oh yes, yes. We we had to do the sense, the bits and sense. You know, like the, all the math. You know, like. If you know math, you're going to be great at music. And I was like, oh, great. I'm terrible at math. So, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. So, uh, when it got to, like, uh, CD quality, that's when they got, like, the orchestras and everything in there. You know, which is why, in my opinion, I think Final Fantasy VII Sethroth song is, like, awesome. If you, if, I'm sure you know who Sethroth oh, is. Oh, my gosh. Final Fantasy Seven. that soundtrack blew me away. That was like one of the first, that was the first soundtrack, I think, where I was like, I want to listen to this outside of the game as much as I can. Like I, that was one of the first soundtracks I like actively bought from a video game soundtrack and went to go find. And it was impossible to find back then. Of course, of course. I remember my friend trying to buy the soundtrack. He actually had to import it from Japan. He, you know, like he... Yeah, I think I did yeah. too. I think I found an import, a Japanese import in some random store in Portland. That's how I found it. It's like nice. a four disc set, which is like as big as the game was. That's pretty cool. Uh, th that um, that boss fight song was really good. So was the Genova song. Um, of course, oh, there's the Shinra's theme was really cool. Yeah, there's so many good, so many good music tracks on that soundtrack. I 100 percent agree. The um, um, I recall uh, when I was doing a. Uh, I think it was uh, e-commerce class or something like that. I don't recall where you had to pick someone that was um, a successful e-commerce type of person, 
And I picked, uh, I can't remember his name, but he worked on like games like Chrono Cross and Nintendo and whatnot. Um, and uh, he was like the first person to ever play theme music in the Tokyo Dome. He was like the first person because when they realized that video games were popular, they started to make concerts out of them. And um, As they should. Yeah, of course, of course. And uh, I just remember like someone was saying, oh, technically he's not, uh, he's not an e-commerce type of person. So I had to switch to, um, uh, I think it was, uh, I can't remember his name, but it was, it was the guy who owned Netflix at the time. And uh, which is that, you know, they changed their thing, obviously later on, as you know, this, um, you know, they were video, uh, mailed in videos and now they're yes. completely streaming. Or, or DVDs, rather. Um, it's very interesting, the uh, outcome of that. But that's not what we're talking about. So, Jake, if you were to de- design a game, it, it could be anything you want, what would it be? Well, if it could be anything I want and not limited by my capabilities of making it. Yes. Just your imagination, so... Boy, boy, you've like, yeah, you've opened a real door here. Um, <laughs> I think I would try and make a 4X. Um, 4X stands for, oh boy, I always get this uh, wrong. Explore, expand, exterminate, and uh, be enthusiastic. No, that's not an X. What's 4X stand for? <laughs> yeah, 4X game was like Civ or like Endless Space. Uh, explore, expand, exploit, and exterminate. Oh. So it's like an idea of like civilization is where you pretty much just start with like a settler and a warrior, and you build a civilization from there. You found a city, you research technologies going all the way from like the the ancient ages all the way up to like the information age. And I think that level of game really tickles my brain in a way that like board games do but also digital games can because it really is a very elaborate board game that couldn't be recreated on a table because it's too intricate Mm. but because of the power of computers obviously it it can be accomplished so uh something elaborate like that would definitely be my jam gotcha gotcha now um that kind of reminded me of the the book or the movie ready player one now where um i'm have you seen it read it or no I read, like, three-quarters of the book and never saw the film. Okay, no worries. Basically, Ready Player One, the, the outcome of, the you know, like, the, the time that they live in is very, like, dystopian. And so they go to virtual reality to, uh, to you know, live their life mostly. So, in your opinion, do you think that a lot of people, if you know, virtual reality gets there, will want to live in virtual reality? Or do you think that there'll be, no, no one wants to live in virtual reality? I mean, we're already kind of there in some ways, right? Just because it's not virtual doesn't mean we, some people aren't virtually living their lives. Okay, sorry. Some people aren't, I say virtually, but I mean, aren't essentially living their lives online, right? Like, yes. Most of us get up and look at our screen and then spend our day on our screen, then end our day on our screen and then pass out. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, especially so. in quarantine where we're, we're, there's the window to the outside world is our computer because we can't go out to the outside world for a lot of us. Um, so like, I think that question's kind of already been answered, which is, yeah, there will be that. But like, 
then the, then the question becomes what is living right is like you can you can have a subsistent lifestyle that doesn't interact with the outside world because the virtual world becomes the outside world right but like yes I don't know. I think I think that y- the answer is yes. I think what we conceptualize as virtual reality and like it won't be everybody's in their house just, you know, with the visor on dead on, on their chair for 24 hours a day. I don't think we're going to see that level of dystopia. But uh, I think there will be, you know, there's definitely going to be problems that arise as the technology becomes more prevalent and, and the addictive nature of what the Internet is will will kind of start to take over but i think we're all kind of aware of it now like yes. it's it's being talked about on a pretty constant basis it's not like we're we're walking into the future with our eyes closed about what the this stuff has an effect on us so i'm optimistic but uh i think i think it's very possible that we could kind of live our lives virtually for sure understood um i have a question now i don't want to spoil this for you but do you remember quark from star trek that the ferengi guy that was yeah. Okay. On DS Nine, yes. ran the bar. Yes, exactly. Now, do you remember the the time when Quark w- was asked by someone to get a specific crewmate to be on the hollow deck so that they could make a program, and then someone messed with it, or no? No. Okay. Well, again, I, I understand this sh- episode is totes old, but. Um, uh, it was a while back ago. I don't remember the episode number or anything like that, but this is definitely further down the line. Someone comes to Quark and, and is like, you know, like, oh, I understand that you do hollow deck upgrades. Can you get... I, I don't know who it was. Maybe it was like Janeway or maybe Crusher. or one. It was, the point is, it was one of the female crewmates. And he was basically asking them to make like... Um, like virtual porn which i thought was <sighs> and then and then the, the lady found out and hacked it to have quark's face instead of her face what this happened in ds9 yeah yeah it's a hundred percent this is a hundred percent true i'm not making it up that's interesting you know the, well we were actually literally just talking about this this episode hasn't come out of to watch yet because we just recorded it but um we watched the episode of the next generation where jordy kind of like flirts with slash falls in love with the hologram that he's working with on a project yes um it's called booby trap episode (laughs) six of season of course it is yeah of course it's called that um and we had this conversation about like oh if you can virtually recreate someone just based on you know the their personality profile and with like a, an error level of like in the single digit percentage, like that's a scary thought that your personality could be out there interacting with other people against your will. It is scary. I think dark mirror did, uh, an episode of this as well, where they were like kind of parodying star Trek, but, um, I'm not a hundred percent sure of it. It was, I think maybe season three or season four. It was like the first episode. Um, it, it, it didn't end up well for that guy. Uh, <laughs> it never does. In, in yes, yes. Um, so, uh, this is the part of the show where I ask you for a bit of advice. Now, it doesn't have to be video game related or board game related. It could be anything related. So, Jake Michaels, what advice do you have to give to to the listeners of Good Gamers? 
Oh, to the listeners or to you? Either one. I'm here. You can tell me advice, and it's, it's going to go to the listeners <laughs> well, I mean, as well. I'm having the conversation with you, and I appreciate them being here to listen to it. But, like, I kind of want to give, like, well, first off, I, here's my question is, do you want advice on any specific subject, or you you want me to just give you advice in general? Well, we talked about so much, especially with you talking about comedy and making games and, like, doing this podcast. I I understand I understand the 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 brevity of the expanse of the question, um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> generally, if there was you know so a piece of advice that someone maybe gave to you recently, or maybe that you had an epiphany of recently, that that you want to share, if you don't, that's perfectly fine, Jake. Oh yeah, oh yeah, no, uh, I have epiphanies. Fairly often, the key is keeping up with them. <laughs> not to, to say I'm, I'm a brilliant person always coming up with ideas so much as like uh, I think about things and then I, I, you know, you forget about them because you're, there's so much going on in, in your brain. It's hard to organize. And so the, the thing about having great ideas is making making them into great actions. Uh, so I guess my advice that I'm thinking about lately is, is, is failure because I think we're always thinking about failure when we are create content creators. And I've been comparing comparing a lot of my content lately to other people who make content in my realm. And um, I like being inspired by the things they do better than me. And I like um, analyzing the things uh, that I can do that can I can make about my own projects better. But like I realize that the only way to learn is to to go out and do them and for those parts of those things to fail because that's how you notice it. If everything you do was successful, then you wouldn't grow. You already have grown to the point to where you need to, apparently. But, like, failure is just a part of life. So when you make things, uh, like, look at look at all the little failures that happen inside of that and just don't focus on them as – don't focus on them, but, like, learn from them. Of course, of course. It's a that... wandering example of learning from failure. <laughs> hey, that's that's perfectly understandable. The um, when uh, When I was younger, I want to – say, maybe like 17 or 18, maybe 19 at the max, uh, I went on an audition. It was my f- one of my first auditions. And it was for the, the reality show, uh, American Idol. And um, I, again, I thought that, you know, um, the way to audition is to be confident and to not really focus too much on what you're doing. Just like, just go with it, you know what I mean? Like improv, you know, like yes and. Mm-hmm. And so I I remember uh, going, okay, well, I've had no formal training as an actor. I have no skills in that realm. So I'm assuming that the best way that I could bring, a, bring across the character is by emulating a wrestling character. Because wrestling is a lot of acting. You know, Absolutely. It, so, so basically what I did was I took parts from wrestlers and then I mashed them together and then I went into the audition room and let me tell you, it was, it was pretty ridiculous. And, but I was lucky enough to at least get on TV for like a little bit of time. It, it was a long time ago. Um, but, but why did you get on TV, right? Because you made a big choice. Exactly, and, exactly. Like, you, and you took that risk. You risked failing big to make it big. And exactly, like exactly. I can't remember... Uh, Frank Sinatra, he had a quote, and it was, 
A lot of people are afraid of being a clown. Now, I'm paraphrasing, but I I get a lot of comfort from being a clown. You know, like, I'm, I'm just going to say this and then see what people say. You know, I, I may be really stupid and maybe they'll laugh at me for being so stupid, but, I, but I, at least I did it, you know? Absolutely. At least you did it. Like, uh, the, it, you'd rather... You'd rather, like, go through life with some of those at-least-I-did-it feelings than, you know, always thinking about what if. Exactly, exactly. The, um, I don't know how much you're familiar with DC Comics, but there's a, a thing called Bizarro World where Batman goes to, like, the opposite of his world. Like, um, and I think Superman is, like, really stupid or something like that, and he's called Bizarro, and then uh, Batman is Owlman. And the the Joker is the Jester. Do, do you know what I'm talking about or no? I do. Yeah, I remember there's some alternate universes in DC too. I remember Bizarro World vaguely because I remember Biz- the char- the Superman character is literally called Bizarro, right? He's like yes. a crystalline looking Superman. Exactly. And I remember thinking to myself when they showed the Joker, like the alternate things where in Batman's world, the Joker is evil. But in here, he's good. So what happened to the Joker that made him good? And then I was just like, that's basically what we as people are. We're always in between good Joker and bad Joker. And then depending on when we get older is which, which way we skew, you know, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I never just, thought of it that way. But like that's just my process. If, it's, if it seems like stupid, I understand totally. But <laughs> No, not at all. <laughs> but anyway... Um, Jake Michaels, if any one of our listeners or, you know, uh, some random guy that ran out to you in the street, I don't know, wants to find you on social media, this is your time to share that with uh, the people. Okay. My time has come. Yes. So you can find me on most social media under the handle The Jake Michaels. So T-H-E-J-A-K-E-M-I-C-H-E-L-S because there's no A in my last name. I also do a lot of stuff at Good Time Society with Becca Scott where we make how to play videos for board games. We play board games on our gameplay show. We do two podcasts now, one called To Boldly Watch, where we watch Star Trek The Next Generation, and Woodland War Machine is our brand new podcast that's uh, hosted by myself, Sam DeRost, and Kyle Atchison, where we talk about the board game Root. Nice. And nice. I think that's most of what I'm doing right now. That's fantastic, Jake. Keep, keep doing what you're doing. You know I like it. And I will, you too. And yeah, for sure. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I again, I appreciate you for coming on by. So, everyone, until next time, GG.